0: Blessing others is um, is one of the key ways that we are called to live by God, because he's blessed us. And generally, when we bless others, it it spreads joy and it spreads love around us. Um, But we all know that life as a Christian is not always that easy, as Trevor has just given testimony. And sometimes the pressures that we face are uh, not illness, or Just things that happen, but sometimes they are pressures put on us by other people it 's not always easy to live as a Christian in a country in a society where people believe things differently to you, uh, where people live their lives differently to you and that can be on a on the level of relating to just the world of authority. it could be in our workplace, it could even be in our families. We met some people here. I know, are practically the only Christian in their family, and it's not always easy. And so today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13 onwards, up until chapter 3, verse 7. If you've got a Bible, um, you might want to have that passage open as we go through it. Um, And in this passage, Peter very much is addressing this issue of how we relate to the society around us. Um, Peter recognized 2,000 years ago for, the, for Christians, just like for us today, um, uh, Mary's handing out Bibles if anybody would like to stick their hand up and have a Bible, um, that, we, that we live in a country where we're expected to follow laws that we may or may not agree with, uh, that we need to earn a living out in the world for the most part. Um, where we don't actually decide what is done or how it's done. And that we're called to relate to people in our families, in our neighborhoods, uh, in the things that we do in our our pastimes. We're called to relate in all these circumstances to people who don't follow Jesus. And we might not always feel that we fit in very well. Um, I've I've called this sermon Misfits in Society because I'm picking up on that phrase that Paul used last week to say that sometimes we do feel that we don't fit very well. So how should we live among and relate to people whose lives we are unavoidably and maybe for the best entwined with? So the difficulty with this particular passage I think is that the context of the Christians Peter lived in uh, and uh, Peter lived among or was writing to was so very different to our own that we do need to think extremely carefully about how we apply this passage Um, but it's nevertheless very helpful, very relevant, very authoritative. Um, But it does need some care. So this morning, what I'm planning to do is to look in some detail at Peter's message and its context before then suggesting some ways in which we apply it. Um, And we're going to have three sets of three. Uh, Three concerns that Peter had in mind for Christians to to always have in their mind. Uh, Three areas of society in which we are called to relate and operate. And three principles that we can apply. So before we read the first part of this section of scripture, um, let's just have in mind the three major concerns that Peter had as he was writing to Christians. Firstly, his first concern was for them, for his Christian brothers and sisters. They were in a hostile situation. Um, he was writing to Christians in the northwest quadrant of Asia Minor, the bit that almost abuts onto Greece, um, on to, going onto the Black Sea. And Christians in these churches were generally not wealthy. They weren't necessarily even Roman citizens with the protections that gave them. Most of them were poor Gentiles. They didn't have power, and they didn't have privilege. So they were quite vulnerable in lots of ways. They weren't yet being officially persecuted from the top by the emperor, as it were. The order hadn't gone out to persecute Christians. But their faith often made them disliked, discriminated against, and abused in their local community. And Peter wanted to encourage them to keep going in the midst of their suffering and also to tell them how to live like Christ under pressure. So that was his first concern for his brothers and sisters. His second concern is for the gospel and for God's glory. He wants Christians to live in this difficult situation as God wants them to live. And he wants them to display God's character amongst non-believers. He wants the goodness of their lives to bear witness to the power of Christ to change us. And he, he wanted them to live a godly life. Um, a life that might win people over to the gospel. Even though the message of the gospel was, might be hard for them to accept... The very goodness of the believers' lives might do that. And he wanted believers to recognize that every action that we carry out, every word that we say in public, has an impact on other people's perception of God. So his second concern was for the gospel and God's glory. And his third perception his third concern, sorry was the good of society itself. Uh, Peter believed that God wants to see peace, stability, order, and morality in society. And so, therefore, Christians should be involved, and they should commit to promoting those things, not at the expense of doing right and what God wants, but in in a way of submitting to the way of things around them. Now this word submit is going to come up over and over again in our passage. And I think Peter is using it in a sense of generally living in accordance with the order that society has established, rather than constantly at loggerheads with it or trying to cause chaos. But it doesn't mean going along with everything that everyone else is doing. So these three concerns, um, they run through the whole of the passage we're looking at today. They actually run through the whole of the book. Um, So let's keep those in mind as we move on to the three areas of life that Peter talks about here, about where we need to relate to people. So the first verses um, are to do with a Christian's relationship to the state. So chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Foolish meaning those who are estranged from God in a biblical sense. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. So what Peter is saying here is that Christians generally should accept the rule of the highest and the lower authorities in society because they uphold morality. They establish a framework which seeks to punish wrong and reward good. Even if we don't agree with every decision that is made, that is the role of authority. It's hard to imagine a Christian rejecting authority to the state to the extent that they might justify anarchy, for example, when the strong would just trample the weak. But Peter also says that those who hate Christianity, and they think, even if they think it's a force for evil, we know there are some militant atheists like Richard Dawkins who actually think the religion in general, including Christianity, is a force of, for evil in the world. But what he says that even those who hate Christianity in itself, they won't at least be able to criticize our behavior if we are obviously bringing about good in the world. And I think I've mentioned before um, that my cousin in Egypt was involved with a Christian center in Alexandria, which the authorities, the Muslim authorities, wanted to knock down a few years ago. And the people who saved that center it wasn't the Christians doing petitions or protesting, it was their Muslim neighbors who said, these Christians are the ones who give us food and medicine when we need it. We want them to stay here. And that's some evidence of it, isn't it? Of people who might not agree with Christians' beliefs, but actually see their good works in action. But Peter says one other slightly radical thing when you actually think about it in verse 16 here, which is that Christians are to live as free people, but not using their freedom as a cover-up for evil. Now, he may mean here what Paul means elsewhere when he talks about being free, in other words um, that we've been set free from the power of sin in our lives and we have to live as God wants, not just as we want, but... I think it also recognizes another truth that the New Testament talks about, which is that our ultimate authority is not human beings or the law. Our ultimate authority is God. As Christians, we are under his jurisdiction. And I would go so far as to say that we are not bound by human government. But Peter says we are to choose to voluntarily submit <clears throat> to, to them for the Lord's sake. He wants us to be part of a cohesive and orderly society, not get a reputation for troublemaking. Jesus himself, if you look at uh, Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27, it's very interesting. Um, He's talking to his disciples about the temple tax, which was being asked of them to pay. And he says, actually, you don't need to pay this tax, but we will do it just so that we don't cause offense. Martin Luther said it like this, A Christian is a perfectly free lord of all, subject to none, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant, subject to all. Now, that could be quite threatening. In fact, it was threatening for the Christians in the Roman Empire because they didn't accept that they had to worship the emperor. Uh, they said, we worship God and we will not worship the emperor. That was very threatening. But that was what God was saying to them, is that you are not bound by these authorities, but as good citizens in this context, you are to voluntarily go as far as you can in living within the society that you are in a peaceful way. So Peter sums up what he's saying in verse 17 by making some really important distinctions and he actually sets a hierarchy of what we owe to whom. He says, first of all, we're to honor all people because they're made in the image of God. And that includes non-Christian people in government who bring order to society. They're generally trying to do a good thing. But he says there's a special love which is due to our church family which goes beyond just respect. And then he says that our ultimate obedience are respect and respect are given to God. And his will comes first. So if the state tells us to go against God's will, we have to refuse. The early Christians did their best to keep that balance of respecting the authorities, but putting God first. They actually refused to revolt against the Roman Empire. When the Romans came to Jerusalem in AD 66, Uh, in in response to a a Jewish uprising, the one that eventually led to the destruction of the temple, uh, the Christians left Jerusalem rather than join the revolt. um, Eusebius, uh, one of the early church leaders, actually says that they were warned prophetically about what was going to happen, and they decided to leave Jerusalem. But they also refused to fight for the Roman army. They uh, endured ridicule and um, a lot of kind of misunderstanding about being honest and law-abiding citizens. When most people around them, their attitude was, "Well, if you can get away with it, just break the law." You know, you're stupid to keep the law and be honest when you don't have to, kind of thing. Um, but yet, they, other people didn't understand why they would cause immense trouble for themselves by refusing just to go and offer a bit of incense to the emperor. You don't even have to mean it, just do it and show you're a patriotic citizen. But they refused to do that because they would not bow down to the emperor and worship him when worship was due only to God. So there was this difficult tension, and it's a tension we have to grapple with in situations ourselves, I think, of respecting the authorities, voluntarily submitting where we can, but drawing the line at doing things that God says we're not to do. And each of us has to work that through for ourselves. Look at, I don't know, the Just Stop Oil protests in the last few weeks. You know, there are Christians who believe really passionately that God is telling us to steward the world better and that we need to call governments to account. I'm not sure... Whether a Christian would so go, go so far as to attach themselves to a gantry over the M25 in order to do that, that's a difficult decision to make, isn't it? But we all have to ask these questions. If we're in society, if we're submitting to authorities, we want the authorities to build a good society, how are we going to get involved, and how are we going to honor God in it? The second <coughs> group of people that uh, Peter addresses uh, are those well, he talks to slaves. In his society, it was slaves. For us, most of us, um, it's our relationship in the world, world of employment. So he says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he, does some, he, he talks a little more about the suffering that Jesus went through. Now, being a slave in the Roman Empire, wasn't, it wasn't always awful. Um, Up to a third of of the urban population in some areas were slaves. It was the backbone of the economy. Um, Some were only slaves for a portion of their life before they got freed. Some of them were actually quite well educated. They were given interesting, quite important roles in society. But ultimately, their value was in their usefulness. Um, Aristotle, the great philosopher, he even taught that there was no such thing as being unjust to a slave, uh, because slaves were merely property, and so owners were entitled to treat them as they pleased. In fact, it's amazing that the New Testament addresses slaves at all about how they should behave, how they should choose to behave, because society didn't even consider them to be full and equal persons with moral responsibility. Peter knew that slaves who had come to Christ had found a new freedom within the church. They had equal status with any other person in Christ. That was incredible. But then they had to go back to their normal lives and he wanted them to know how to relate to those who might treat them badly uh, and when they had no chance of escaping that so what does he tell them he tells them to do good and to fulfill their obligations uh, because they're not ultimately doing it for their human master remember they're doing it for god god's their authority and he's their judge it's his approval who they're seeking by doing a good job for their master he receives their service as if it is done to him and for him, as it says elsewhere in the Bible. And it says that God will give them extra grace, the words for commendation and credit here, as they've been translated, are the words charis, grace, blessing. God will bless them. He'll give them what they need to endure, but he will bless them for doing it as well. He also wants them to recognize that, like Jesus, they can't receive a crown of glory without receiving first a crown of thorns. And this is a hard one for us, I think. Suffering is part of the pattern of life to which Jesus has called us. And it's not something we particularly (laughs) want to embrace, is it? But in verse 21, where he talks about Jesus setting as an example... Um, The word used is for the the pattern letters that a child traces over when they're learning to write. And he talks about literally planting your feet in the footsteps of someone who's gone before you. So we need to follow in Jesus' steps and share his destiny sometimes. Sometimes, living as God wants us to means an unavoidable collision with people who are opposed to God. Our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world know that full well, don't they? But Jesus has walked this way before us. He's shown us that when it happens, the way we are to respond is with unshakable trust and obedience, a refusal to return threats or insults, and to rely on God to defend us. Now, that's not easy for us, is it? We want to speak up. We want to say it's not fair. But for Christian slaves at the mercy of their harsh masters, it must have meant a great deal to know that their saviour also suffered greatly without having done anything wrong. And that through it all, as he says later in those verses, they were still under the care of their shepherd, the overseer of their souls. And the third group of people that peter talks to is women who who were married but had converted to christianity while they were already married and so they were married to somebody who wasn't a believer he says wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord." You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, women in this part of the Roman Empire at this time were also, like slaves and non-Roman citizens, in a very disadvantaged position. Um, They might sometimes be allowed to own property or to be involved in things outside the home, but generally they couldn't vote and they couldn't get more than a very basic education. Most of them were not even taught to write. Their husband had full authority in the home, um, even down to when a baby was born to the wife, she would have to lay it on the floor, and it was only if her husband picked it up that they would keep that baby. If he didn't, that baby would get exposed, and which meant being either being left to die or see if somebody else would pick it up and take it. And a lot of Christians did that a lot of Christians went and adopted the exposed babies who'd been abandoned um, by Roman families. But the woman had no choice in that. And if they got divorced, the father would always keep the children and all the money, apart from whatever dowry she came into the marriage with if she came from a family with a bit of money. And that kept a lot of wives in unhappy, abusive marriages. It was a lot of power held over them. So Christian women who were married to pagan husbands had discovered like slaves a new freedom and a new status in the church before in Christ they were equal with anybody else. But as with slaves, Peter confers the dignity on them of talking to them as morally responsible people with choices. He doesn't tell them to give up their faith, which was going to be really difficult for them because departing from their husband's faith was seen as rebelliousness, insubordination within the authority relationship. But out of reverence for God, they were to try and honour their marriage contract as much as they were able, living under the order of the times that they were in. It wasn't fear of the consequences from their husband, which would make them behave as a good wife was expected to do, but the character of the Holy Spirit being developed in them talks about the fruit of gentleness and peacefulness, which, of course, are fruits of the Holy Spirit we're all meant to develop, but which were going to be particularly helpful in a marriage where they were already at loggerheads over faith. Peter wants them to realize that their behavior could have an impact on their husband for good. And here he hopes that a wife's grace and strength under pressure will draw her husband to the Lord even if she wasn't allowed to speak about it, even if she was being intimidated or facing violence, which her husband was entitled to use against his wife. So that inner beauty was what they would strive for, having the kind of qualities that God values. Again, it's for God's sake. They weren't supposed to get sucked into the temptation to seek acceptance from their husband or from society by being sexualized or materialistic. Neither were they meant to be the kind of wife who was uncomfortable to live with in every other way. But Sarah is an interesting example for Peter to use of submitting to a husband. I don't know if you've ever read the story of Abraham and Sarah. But if you look at passages like Genesis 21, you find Sarah actually telling Abraham what to do and God backing up Sarah, not Abraham. Um, So Sarah was clearly no doormat. And um, Peter clearly didn't mean that Christian wives were to put up with anything and everything that the society said a husband could do. And actually, Peter then goes on to a digression a bit. He talks to husbands. Now, husbands were not, like Christian wives, in a disadvantaged position. Um, They could choose how their household worshipped. So they were not going to come under pressure within the family um, about their faith. But he addresses Christian husbands, um, and he says uh, that in a Christian marriage, husbands are to be different from non-believing husbands. He says, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, do not panic about that word weaker. (laughs) I've looked it up quite a lot, and that word is used of a weaker vessel, which is always talking about the physical body. So he's saying that men, you have a physical strength your wives don't have, and for that very reason, you should not use that physical strength against them. You're not to intimidate them, you're not to bully them, and you're certainly not to be violent to them. So don't get your hackles up about (laughs) about that, Okay. But what he does say is to be considerate, literally according to knowledge of your wife. In other words, to understand your wife's needs um, and to get an insight into your wife so that you can love her and meet her needs. And that term encompasses the whole of married life, when he says, as you live with your wives, including sexually. So um, a husband is to be considerate of all his wife's needs. And not only that, but they're to honour them, maybe even sometimes defer to them, because the word here used for respect is the same that was used of younger men respecting their elders, because they are of equal status and worth in God's sight. And that respect included not using their physical strength against them. Peter actually says that it will affect your relationship with God if you don't treat your wife well, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So I've spent quite a lot of time there, I know, talking about the context and what Peter is actually saying, just to finish with, to, let's try and bring out three principles from all of that that we can apply in our very very different context Um, so first and foremost i'd say live for god if any human being no matter who they are tells us to do something that we know god has said we are not to do then or telling us to do something or not to do something that god has commanded to do then we have to do what god says that is where the rubber hits the road he is God, he is our Lord, we're to have no other God before him. Uh, my friend Leo on Street Pastors, uh, he's, a, he's a bright little cookie who works in data analysis. He used to have a lovely job with pets at home, where they used to an- anal- analyse all the data that came in from what people spent. And they could use it for good things like, oh, these owners who bought this for their pets, their pets lived longer than people who bought those products, so they could actually develop better products for people's pets. Lovely. Now he works for a big international data analysis company. um, And recently, he was asked to do a job for uh, a banking app. I've got to be careful here. A banking app um, where, in the terms and conditions, people don't realize they're giving permission for every single part of their data to be used by the company for whatever purpose they want. So this company wanted Leo to analyze every single little bit of the online banking data, including even the reference that you put when you're making a payment, to analyze people's lives and find out as much as possible about them in order to sell it on to other companies. Leo was not happy with this. He felt it was wrong. And he actually said to his boss, I'm not doing that job. And I don't want this company to take that job. He could have got into quite a lot of trouble for that. Um, But what he did also say was, I'll find us another job, which is a bit more in keeping with uh, morality and which will also make us some money. And they let him do it. But that was a case of him drawing a line because he felt he was being asked to do something that God would not want him to do. So a lot of respect to Leo. (laughs) But we shouldn't need need to be told to behave well or to do good by the law or by our bosses because we need to live according to God's word and to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to every day. Our actions are a witness to unbelievers and they bring glory to God. And sometimes they may even silence those people who would say false things about us. Not always. But we're to live for God's approval even above the opinion of the people we might love most in the world. And that is sometimes very hard. Secondly, let's live in accordance generally with the contracts that we are part of, whether that's our contract as a citizen, or as an employee, or as a husband, or wife, or child, or parent, or friend. Submitting to the authorities now is not the same as in ancient Rome. We have a different ordering of society. There, you did what you were told from above. Now, we do live in a democracy. And that tries to protect individuals in the workplace and the home. We all participate in that democracy. We hold our representatives to account for working for the common good. That is the order of our society. So, we are to obey the law, I believe. Um, That's what submission means in today's society, but being a good citizen now, I think, also means questioning, debating or even protesting if we think the law is unjust or immoral. I think we may even be called, and this is my opinion, to participate sometimes even in civil disobedience and suffer the consequences if we think it is important enough um i'm thinking about martin luther king in the in the usa where his movement protested um against the racist legacy of slavery in the united states and they did things they weren't allowed to do peacefully but they went to places they weren't allowed to go and they did things they weren't allowed to do in order to fight against what was wrong i think that might sometimes be all right um we might be called to stand up for what is right in the workplace or in a family situation. But I think that to fully honour God, as in what he tells us here in 1 Peter, um, we need to also honour our obligations and seek peace wherever we can as well. A wonderful Christian woman that we knew in our church in Hatfield many years ago, she spent 25 years trying to honour her husband, who forbade her to go to church or to practice her faith in front of him. 25 years she tried to honor her husband in that. And then one day God spoke to him in an audible voice and brought him to his knees in repentance. I'm sure that her witness and her faithfulness to God in trying to honor her husband while still keeping her own faith was part of what brought him to God in the end. Our family, our colleagues, our neighbours, they are watching us to see if our life matches up with our profession of faith. And we mustn't forget that. And finally, we need to follow in the way of Christ. If we are treated unfairly or harshly, fighting for our rights is not the only response that we should make. Uh, Ronald Sider once said that Christians shouldn't necessarily acquiesce to injustice. But, he said, it does mean that if they obey the biblical command to follow Christ's example, they will refuse to regard oppressors as enemies to be reviled and hated. Rather, precisely as they remember that Christ died for their sins while they were still enemies of God, they will imitate God's unfathomable love for enemies Incarnated in his son's cross. Do we trust God enough to care more about loving and praying for our enemies than defending ourselves? Some of you will have read the story many years ago of the cross and the switchblade, where a small town pastor called David Wilkerson was called by God to witness to gangs in New York um, and One gang in particular made it their business to hassle him. They disrupted meetings. They actually stole the collection plate. Um, But the leader of that gang, Nikki Cruz, he once cornered David Wilkinson up against a wall with a flick knife against his throat and said, I could cut you into a million pieces for threatening the unity of my gang. And David Wilkinson said to him, yes, you could. And every piece would say, God loves you that is the mark of a person who's learned to walk in Jesus' footsteps, who's prepared to suffer for for the road that God has asked him to walk. And sometimes God asks that of us to walk through that to the crown of glory. So how is God asking us to respond for this? I want to pray for us all now that we take this on board. And I want to pray particularly for those who are under pressure at the moment. So let's pray. I want to pray for you if you are in situations where there are people who have no sympathy whatsoever for your faith. Lord, I pray that those people will know your grace in their situation. I pray, Lord, that you will give them the courage to keep walking through that situation without responding in anger or bitterness, without responding in like manner to threats or to insults. I pray, Lord, that you will help them to endure to the end and know that you are the judge whose opinion counts and that one day they will be justified. pray for all of us that we'll be able to approach everything we do in life with a reverence for God and for his commands, not to take the easy road of complying with the things that we know are wrong. And Lord, I pray for us that all, every single one of us, we will be the same person in church, at home, in the workplace and out in the world Lord help us to live with integrity help us to be out there to seek the good of society and do what is right and to honor you in it Lord help us to wrestle with you as to what it means to submit to the authorities, but to give reverence to you. Help us to learn to live like Christ, to speak up when it is the right thing to do, but to suffer for your sake when it is the right thing to do. Lord, I pray for the fruit of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives so that we may display your character to the world so that the witness of our lives draws people to you. And Lord, we may be not of this world, but we're in it. And when you said that, Lord, you said that you were sending us out into it. So, Lord, we pray that wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we say, that we will be those who bring glory to your name at the last day. Amen.